Hello. Welcome to Someone Greater Podcast. Podcast about homebrew and homies. We have a homie with us. We do. Hi. <laughs> Daily. You've heard all about her because we talk about her campaign Dad. almost every episode. <laughs> I miss me feel special. Thanks. Yeah. So this is the woman, the myth, the legend herself. It's Bailey. It's <laughs> not something to live up to at all, okay? No, you're fine. You got this. <laughs> but we brought Bailey on today to talk about her experience with D&D because she's had a lot of them. And we want to expand our guest repertoire and have as many people on as possible. So, oh, yeah. Very excited. Yeah, she's had stuff she's wanted to talk about for a while also. So mm-hmm. we're excited to get a little bit into that. Yeah, I've got some thoughts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, before we start, just a really quick thing. Uh, we got some fan mail that we will be addressing in a future episode. And uh, one of the things that they brought up to us in said fan mail was, you guys don't plug your, uh, your channels enough. <laughs> and I went... <laughs> Yeah, so subscribe to our YouTube, please. Like, that'd be cool. But anyway, housekeeping out of the way. Is there anything you'd like to say to introduce yourself a bit? I mean, I don't really have much of an online presence, but I've been... Hi, I'm Bailey. Uh, I've been playing D&D for maybe... I want to say... Six, five, six, seven years, somewhere in there. I'm not sure exactly what year we started. Um, Uh... DM'd for a good chunk of them recently, thankfully, because I've made friends, I can actually play in games. <laughs> yeah. Aside from that, I have like an art background um, that's come up a couple times in games, but... It's really nice because we now have stickers of our characters that are like pretty to a T what we want the characters to look like. Yeah. All thanks to our resident artist. He's <laughs> a very talented artist. Well, thanks. <laughs> we throw up a couple of your designs? Yeah. Um, we'll do that in post. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I can give you guys some of them. Can... <laughs> that would be sick. She also makes dice. Yeah. I do. Yeah. Um, still trying to work on getting those better balanced. I need some nicer molds. That's the problem. Uh, but molds are expensive. Yes, I was so are. mad. I thought maybe I got one. I should have known better, but I got one from Amazon a while ago that was like on sale. Um, it was normally like 50 bucks. So I'm like, okay, if it's normally 50, that's, it's probably that's good, not too right? bad, right? Ripped the first time I used it. Oh. <laughs> no, like, eh. <laughs> Point is, I don't want to sand things. So yeah, yeah. yeah. for real. Unfortunately. I guess uh, let's, let's start off with a question I've really been wanting to ask you. Uh, outside of the pod anyway, um, what are some influences in your world building? So I had, I was thinking about this last night specifically. Um, I obviously there's, especially since I started playing D and D one of my first, um, like one of the first things I started finding when I was trying to figure out what the fuck I was doing, um, was critical role. That's the one a lot of people find. So obviously, you know, Matt Mercer's a huge influence. It's been really influential. Um, and then when I found it later, things like dimension 20, um, I really wish I had more like I I wish I were better at watching and listening to other podcasts because <laughs> thanks tism, but I get really on one track and then I never diverge from it. So I wish I had like more I could plug that aren't just super basic. But anyway, there's a lot of diversity in D&D media that I just do not go towards because I'm like, this is my comfort one. <laughs> but I can just watch this for the fifth time. Um <laughs> Outside of that, because uh, obviously when I started, I had no frame of reference. Um, I, I was like, 
fairly fresh off, not fresh off of, but like my family grew up in a lot of the satanic panic. So D&D was a no, no. Um, but since then, so usually I would say it's things like books. Um, a lot of the books that I've read, um, Megan Whalen Turner, who I'm going to mention multiple times, I'm sure she's my absolute <laughs> favorite author. I want everyone to read her work. Um, she's been a hugely influential in fact, I've I I blatantly like stole a plot line from one of her books for one of my other campaigns <laughs> to start it off. I'm just like, I'm taking that. Um, so she's been really influential. Um, I think I, I even had hang on, I had some more she that I wrote down. Notes. I brought notes, physical paper notes, because because we're D&D players. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> one of my favorite trends on social media right now i'm so sorry to derail but like is the we're midwesterners or like we're blah 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 so we do this and it's just like the video of them like walking through it i just popped in my head we're D, &D players we can't take notes in class but we take notes in sessions <laughs> oh, yeah everywhere else yeah no matter of that. yep can't take a note in school to save my life and actually i'm not the best at it even in D, &D but <laughs> i'm better at it there um <clears throat> I would say other influences have been, um, I think everybody to a degree, if you play fantasy D&D at least, Tolkien has to be an influence because yeah. it's just, it's so baked into everything. And I just think he was a really cool dude. Wasn't um, he the one to like actually create the concept of elves as they are known in popular media now? I don't know for sure, but I think as we understand them, possibly. Well, maybe not necessarily as... I think he definitely popularized it, but I think he took a lot of stuff from folklore, like okay. old like fae folklore and stuff, which actually ironically is then the other influence that I was going to mention is folklore and mythologies have been huge for me um, because, uh, geez, I was a queer kid, so I was also really into Greek mythology. Shocker. <laughs> Did you have the big yellow book? Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm actually shocked we were allowed to have that book. Right? Oh, my gosh. Like, my mom, they, they were so, so conservative. And I love them. And they did a great job. But they were, like, super conservative. But then they would also, like, read me Aesop's fables. Mm -hmm. And they got me the big yellow, uh, what's it called? Like, Dallaire's book of Greek yeah, mythology. Had... And they were like, here you go. Have hey fun. Yeah. yeah, it was just part of a... <laughs> I mean, I was, I was freaking homeschooled on top of everything else. So I'm shocked we had it. Um... But yeah, that's, I guess it came with one of the curriculums, but love that. <laughs> it was all kinds of fucked up, but I my, loved it. My mom got mad at me because I, same thing. I was homeschooled and it came with the curriculum. Um, she got mad at me because she could not resell the curriculum whole because I destroyed the Greek mythology book. <laughs> wow. <laughs> the cover fell off. Yeah. It was bad. Yeah. Honestly, one of my bigger regrets is that I don't know more about like I only really know a lot of, uh, I, only, I don't even want to say a lot, but I really only know most stuff from like the major mythologies, like Greek, Norse, Little Egyptian. Um, I would love to know more about other ones too. And I, we had a couple books when I was a kid that had like little tidbits here and there. Um, but yeah, at some point I'd like to really branch off and read even more stuff because it's super helpful. It is really, really helpful. I will say if nothing else, read through multiple different mythologies creation mythos that will help you immensely yeah if you dm definitely uh there's definitely a rut that i have fallen into as far as like how i write my pantheons and how i do this that and the other thing with deities in my D, &D campaigns because of the like westernized mythology and all that other stuff yeah. like yeah there are a few that we 
popularize and that's kind of square peg into square hole like that's that's just where i wind up safe mythologies (laughs) yeah yeah like a basic campaign off of like you know hinduism or something right oh my gosh so freaking cool like have like several hundred gods sorry dms uh good luck with that (laughs) but (laughs) (laughs) so down that line of thought uh what about some some themes that you really like to explore so obviously again i'll bring it back to uh i'm a queer so i love found family it's Mm -hmm. like it it even when i try not to it's gonna show up in there every time when i play as a character when i dm every single time i love the found family uh concept it's becoming our bread and butter right. collectively <laughs> i feel like i should mention too like just in case i i really like my family i don't want anyone to think like i'm over here roasting my parents <laughs> like i love my parents and my family but there were we you know everyone's got their issues but um but yeah that is one of my that's probably one of the biggest ones um <laughs> because i got religious trauma i love heaven hell like angels demons dynamics freaking love it it's one of the reasons i love the current campaign that we're doing with sophia because mm-hmm. um it's so good i just i've always liked the for lack of i know it sounds kind of weird but i love the aesthetic of it i just like the feeling of it um it feels so epic and in, intense so i love playing with those themes um it's also one of the reasons i really like um i really like when my characters in my games are they have some kind of a deity that they're connected to or that they are interested in or whatever, because I love inserting that deity into their life intentionally. And gee, again, maybe that's the trauma, but, um, uh, I love, like I, I, we've talked about before. I love playing with dreams, um, in game. I love coming to characters in a dream and giving something eerie or, um, so that's a one I really enjoy. And I also really like, I like watching, or getting to watch a player get to try and experience uh, struggling with faith in their character. I find that really fascinating, whether they end up walking away from it or getting stronger in it or whatever the case may be. um, It's a really human experience. And I really like getting to watch them try and figure that out, even if they're themselves not like in in their own life, a religious person, because you certainly don't have to be. I mean, it really boils down to why do you believe the things that you believe? It's not necessarily reliant on religion. I think that's Mm -hmm. part of the reason why it's been so cool to do it in D&D is because it's kind of, especially for me in playing in your campaigns and like going through stuff like that, it kind of gives me some context for leaving the table and going, why am I so invested in XYZ thing that's happening in my life? And there's a lot of introspection that comes from it. And I think that's at the absolute root of most of the themes that we explore in all yeah. of our collective campaigns, it boils down to who are we Yeah, <laughs> and what are we doing? That's why I've often, I've made the the point. I do this with people all the time where if you're playing with good people anyway, D and D is, it's so therapy. Um, because no matter how much I've thought I've made a character, that's like the antithesis of myself or whatever. I'm like, I don't connect to them whatsoever. We'll get into a session. Something happens and I walk away going, oh, <laughs> like, why did that hit me really too close to home? Yeah. Um, so which has actually been shockingly surprising. It's happened with Des a couple of times because, again, sh- mm-hmm. I don't normally play like intense or mean characters, but then, oh, yeah, there's been some stuff. I just went, oh, shit. <laughs> Damn it. That's. <laughs> 
that that struck a core trauma. Great. All right. <laughs> Yeah, we brought this up before, how, like, even when you're trying to create a character that is, like, finally, this one is nothing like me, you end up, you end up finding that, like, maybe I, maybe I had this. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't care if you end up playing a sentient garlic knot, you're gonna end up putting yourself in that character. Whoa. It's just, it's inevitable. <laughs> Honestly, one of the funniest character concepts that I have ever heard was um, the, people joke on the internet all the time about like your first character versus like your 700th character. Mm -hmm. It's going to be the mage hand potato. Yes, <laughs> it's an awakened potato wizard that just carries itself around with mage hand. <laughs> Amazing. But yeah, so as far as other themes... Uh, those are kind of the big ones. I like playing with redemption themes. Um, I love having, not necessarily, this isn't what I'm maybe put as major plot arcs for characters per se, but I like having like back, like back lore or back stuff of like forbidden ro uh, romances and things like that. I just make things real spicy for like later developments, especially if characters get to discover that like down the, down the line. Mm -hmm. Um, it's really fun when the players talk about it and have this idea of like, I think we could maybe do this with our characters, but the characters don't know yet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can think three steps ahead. It's like chess. <laughs> but yeah, so those are kind of the big ones I think that I like to play with anyway. Yeah. Is there a character you've played or um, have had in one of your campaigns that's like an example of the, the religious trauma process <laughs> <laughs> oh which one which ones aren't um i think the first time that really happened um well technically the first character i ever made um was raised in a cult so um there's that uh but i sadly we didn't really like it was one of my sister's campaigns and we still play it it's just really infrequent um so i honestly haven't gotten to dive too deep into her stuff um so I think really one of the first times it really came up was actually through our friend Justin's character because um, he played a character that had uh, had walked away from like his own faith. And then essentially as, me as the DM in that one, I uh, when he gave me that as a tidbit, I'm like, oh, that's going to come back to haunt you. <laughs> um, so ironically, it was actually that when you and Sophia joined that that was the plot hook I used to get everybody invested was his one of his old um uh, clergy members essentially came back and said, there's a lot of stuff happening in the church right now. I need you to help me like root out this problem. Yeah. Um, I, was say, I remember that being like kind of the start of everything. And we were like, Oh, religious trauma right away. Yeah. So <laughs> <How> exciting. <laughs> so getting to do that, not only for him as someone else who also grew up in a lot of that, uh, same stuff, getting to watch the catharsis of people getting to confront religious figures who had fucked up and had specifically been using people um, and really get to get some divine retribution. <laughs> the catharsis was incredible. Um, and like I said, technically I had done that for him, but it was, it ended up being very um, impactful to me too. And, um, and I think after, after that, I found traces of it in like all my characters. I think Io is probably the more recent one, which I was actually not expecting from her. Um, but that's come up a couple of times for her too. And I guess that's by nature of playing a half angel. <laughs> it's kind of inevitable. I mean, we've made the people make the joke on the internet all the time of like, if you play a tiefling or an Asamar, like, what flavor is your religious trauma and how queer are you? <laughs> um, so 
It's like you said before, the Venn diagram is a circle. It's a circle. <laughs> it is a perfect sphere. Um, but yeah, so I think it's been some of the times that's come up the most was my, my uh, our campaign when you guys came in was probably the biggest one. Um, and in that one, it was just NPCs, but that was still like, because I got to have a moment of these are the kind of people I wish had been around when I went through shit or when people I knew went through things like these are the kind of things I wish I would have been able to say, but never did. I was too young or whatever the case may be. Um, Opportunities you wish you'd had in those yeah, moments. Yeah. Exactly. Um, like I said, I use the word a lot, but catharsis. It was just really nice to get to experience some justice where there normally doesn't get to be a ton. Um, and because the real world sucks. Um <laughs> But so yeah. That example of Justin has vibes of like like old youth pastor asking to get coffee. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, there was oh there was some there was some stuff. Um I ended up getting like it it was one of those things where I knew I knew it was gonna be dark because of what I had literally done. I, I this was me, I did this. <laughs> um but it still ended up hitting real different like when things started finally shaking down where it was just like okay oof like i've i've not known obviously people that have done this exact thing but like that that feeling that vibe the emotional weight of what had been done Mm -hmm. was still very relevant and very real um so but again, that's one of the reasons I enjoy D&D so much is if you're again, if you're playing with good people and you've got good boundaries uh, and you trust your DM, uh, it's a really great way to explore traumas or um, aspects of yourself you haven't really thought about. And in a safe space, in a space where like the stakes are not the same as real life. You have the ability if things do get too intense, you can just go, okay, actually, no, I need to step back. It it gives you a little bit of a security blanket to actually really get in to really intense and deep stuff. Um, I mean, queer identity, uh, religion, um, yeah, all kinds of stuff. You can, if again, if you've got a DM you trust and you're with a group of people that you trust, it can be really, really powerful. And it has, I mean, heck, how many times now in Sophia's <laughs> campaign have I cried? And oh, I never all do. Of us, yeah, we've um, all been there. So I cried before when, uh, as a DM with players before in mine, that's happened a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Dej got his mom, like that was, or discovered his yeah, other mom, that was. Uh-huh. That was a like that's a that moment I had planned one. for years. So getting to finally do that was great. I love that kind of payoff. Yeah, it was, it, I was I was so happy with how that turned out. So because she had no idea that I'd was, been that sitting was on great. it for three years. <laughs> but uh, diving back into what you said earlier about the uh, the outside world kind of being shit as far as D and D goes, following that theme. You have been the DM for a campaign that sadly completely dissolved and went your separate ways. What was that experience like for you as a DM? And <clears throat> how do you think that affected like how you moved forward with D&D? So it definitely sucked. Um, that was really and that that was my first <sighs> campaign um i made a lot of mistakes in that one what was um, your first campaign ever yeah oh no, wow. it was the very first one i ever did uh we were working off storm king's thunder 
Um, and my first big blunder was I had a personal issue with one of my players. Um, actually with, it was my brother, shout out Jake. Um, I, we've talked about this before, but I'm still so sorry. Um, we'd been having some personal stuff between us and I made the mistake of not talking to him about it first. And then just instead saying, I, I need space. I need you to leave the table. Um, which came as a huge blow because he didn't know that was coming. So it's, I've often said it's my biggest regret as a DM that I hand the way I handled it because I should have, if there was a problem, we should have communicated and talked about it beforehand. So the two of us could have come to an understanding of where we needed to be. We did talk about it since then. And like I said, we're, we're good now. Um, but that's one of my big regrets. And so it's one of my also biggest things I tell DMS and players and everyone in general, D and D is a communication game. So if you are having issues with people, please, 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 please talk to them. Um, so that had happened before. Um, and that, that campaign itself had a lot of people come and go just because it was the first one. We had some people that like, they wanted to try it out and then their lives got too busy and yada, yada. Um, but by the, by the point it split, there were five people. Um, and actually what ended up splitting it was that two people in the group were dating and had a messy breakup. Oh. Um, and it became very clear um, that that was not going to be something that they could continue to do. And one of the other players was really their friend more than uh, he knew me and the other people involved. So it was, and it was already living in a different place too. So it was kind of like, without ever officially like without any of us ever officially sitting down and going, yeah, this has to dissolve. It was like, this needs to dissolve because it's not sustainable. There was really only two people left that, um, really still wanted to do anything with that one. And thankfully for me, um, obviously that was my first campaign. I was really, really depressed and sad that it fell apart. And, um, those two people that were left were Aaron and Justin. Um, and they'd put so much work into their characters and I had so many plans and I felt really bad that I had to essentially let that go. Um, but it did at some point, I don't remember when it did occur to me. I'm like, they don't necessarily have to let that go because at that point I had started doing, um, I'd started creating my own world at that point for actually a different campaign that also dissolved. Um, but, so I kind of thought about it and I think it was around this time that that's when I had met Sophia. I'd been becoming friends with for a little while because we were coworkers. Um, we'd met, I'd met you since then. And I kind of, me and my sister, I think it was, I think I talked about it with Aaron first where I was like, I think I really want to play with them. And if you and Justin still want to play these characters, it's not impossible for me to just take transplant yeah exactly transplant because i could just take the adventure you guys were working on because it was a pre-made one i'm like i'll just tweak some stuff retcon a few things pick you up and drop you off in this other one um and so technically no they never finished storm king's thunder so that really didn't wrap up but like i said since we kind of retconned a few things that like it didn't really we basically just glossed it over and said you guys used to be part of an old adventuring party that like took out some giants kind of a thing like we made it real vague um and that way I could kind of get to what I wanted to in the first place anyway, which was really delving into their backstories, which is one of the reasons why I have nothing against working off of the pre-made adventures. They're really nice. Um, I tend to get lost in them and I feel like it's harder to get 
characters' backstories involved in the pre-made ones. And that's what I like doing the most anyway. Um, so it ended up working out in the end because we just essentially just transplanted the whole thing. Um, but I, I guess the big takeaways that I got from that, obviously from the first thing, the big one being communicating with your players. And the second one being like, you don't, if something does have to end, it doesn't technically have to end. Um, you can, if you're willing to let go of some things, if you're willing to make compromises for your own work, you can find new life for something that had to, had to end for good reason. Um, so if you're willing to make some, some compromises and you're willing to let a few things go, you can, uh, it doesn't have to be the end. Um, cause it does really suck. And there, <clears throat> I'm sure there are some cases where some things are going to have to like, completely go completely away. dissolve um and that's always going to be hard and i don't like i said since that's never really happened to me i can't tell you how to handle that but um i'm also the kind of person that like it's hard for me to let things go um so but it's kind of similar and going back to what we talked about earlier with like media and things that have influenced me your own work can influence you later you can still use aspects of like um a good example is the other campaign that I was that I had started that fell apart because it was a toxic environment. Um, I had uh, that. And actually, that's the one that had started my entire world. I had like a huge, big, bad plot. Like I had everything like really laid out. I had my bones <laughs> done. And then it was a disaster. And I was just like, well, that's never happening. Um, but then my girls group got started. And from there, I'm like, well, I can still use a lot of that back stuff because it hadn't even come up yet so they had no idea um so a lot of that i ended up just taking and using again reduce reuse recycle exactly <laughs> if dnd's taught us anything nothing truly dies so true that um i want to move on to uh, a little bit of a harder topic but I, I know it's one that i've been excited to talk about um we've been all of us really fortunate to uh, have quite D and D groups, right? mm -hmm. or basically as long as we've been playing. Yeah, and specifically female DMs, which has yes. been amazing. Yeah. That's been very mm -hmm. consistent uh, in our experience, which is uh, I was going to say it's not common, but uh, you know, maybe, maybe it's becoming more common. Just like from what I see on on social media, sure. I feel like in healthy D and D groups, it's more common. I think so. Yeah. It's definitely becoming more common. Um, That's good. It's it's definitely spreading, which is great. I wanted to ask a, a question that uh, you've been pondering for a bit. Um, how do you how do you make those spaces safe for women? So the biggest one, and this is going to sound really stupid and obvious, but I it it needs to be said. Um, it's just talking to them. Um, and my big one that I. I insist on doing with anyone, especially if I don't like, if I don't know them super well. Um, I, and it's also one of the things that when one of the biggest mistakes I made when I had that one group that fell apart really fast, um, I require my players to do consent forms. Um, and because I want to know where they're at mentally and what they can handle and what they can't. Um, and I also, because I have hard lines as a DM of things I will not do. Um, and 
I like to have that out on the table. And I think if you do that, even just the gesture of like, even if someone tells you like, oh, I'm fine with whatever, letting them know that this is something you think about and you care about will mean a lot. Um, Cause I've definitely had plenty of like, I've, I've given people the, the list of things, the little consent form and some people have been like, oh yeah, no, I don't, this, I'm fine with whatever. Um, but I still think it's a really important precedent to set because it shows that you think about these things and you care about these things and that will speak volumes. Um, because there's, there's so many times and instances when, and I hear this a lot from, uh, I've heard so many like D and D horror stories from women who get in a situation where like they think that they're going to be comfortable and then someone vastly pushes their boundaries or, um, or sometimes it's not even like maybe it's just one person in the group, but the DM doesn't do anything to step in or, um, or help out or again, communicate. You have to like, you have to verbalize and you have to talk about these things. Um, and I even like an example of like something I didn't expect when I did my, um, when I've used one of my consent forms before, um, I did it for my girls group, which again, in theory, you'd think we're all, we're all girls. Like we should all have like similar, but like, again, I don't know what they might or might not be coming with. Um, and my best friend who's in that group, like we went through the list and I was like, is there anything on that's not on here that you guys want me to avoid? And she um, she was like, actually, I'd, I'd really, really prefer if we don't have any sibling death because she's lost her brother. Mm. And that was something that even though I was there for her for that whole experience, I hadn't it hadn't occurred to me. Um, and. I had a moment where I was like, oh, yeah, obviously that's something she's not going to want to like have to relive in a fictional world if she doesn't have to. Um, and I actually um, and this is the other thing, too, for DMs in particular, when you do these lists, not only do you have to do them, you have to follow through on them, because I had like as one of the major plot points two of the big um, characters were siblings and one of them had like something had happened to them. Um, so obviously, from that point, I'm like, I can't. I can't have them be siblings. I'm not going to do that to her. So I just had to tweak my story a little bit to change it. So it wasn't a familial thing, mm -hmm. which again, feels like a small thing, but I do know that for some people, like you can get so attached to your story. You don't want to let anything go. But if your story is going to harm your players and your story is for your players, it's a bad story. Yeah. So you've got to let it go and you've got to tweak it. Um, so that's why I strongly recommend people using those lists. Even if you think, you know, everybody really, really well, and again, she was my best friend, like just double check with people because um, that's going to mean a lot down the line. And the really nice thing about those <laughs> consent forms, too, is the community has grown a lot, specifically the online community. There are lots of them online. You can just look up D&D &D consent form. Yeah, that's all I did. I didn't make my own. I literally just go I just typed that in into Google and found a good one and then printed it off and I hand it to people all the time. So highly recommend you do that. Yeah. So that's kind of one of my big ones, making spaces safe. Um, and the other one, and this is, this gets a little like, I'm going to see if I can explain this the best as I can. Um, if you have, if you have women at your table or, you know, femme presenting people, um, be careful about like when you walk into, it, especially if it's people you don't know. Like obviously when you have like friends, there can be differences, but if this is still a fairly new group of people, um, Try your best not to go in with any expectations for her or her character, because I've known and heard of a lot of instances where women go into these spaces and suddenly every other guy at the table is like, I'm going to romance that character in their head. Um, 
or even if it's not necessarily like a conscious thought, there's like the subplot of like, oh, I kind of I kind of wonder if that's going to happen. We've talked about this a little. We mentioned a little bit like romance in games, like there's something to be said for for organic and like you want things to happen naturally. But I'm also a very big proponent of if you feel like that's something a character's heading toward, talk to the other player about it first, because trust me, there will be nothing worse than having a player confess to another player and them going, uh, (laughs) no, (laughs) um, I don't care what kind of reveal moment you want to have. Don't do it. Talk to them first. It can be a surprise to all the other players, but like those two characters need to talk about it. Um, and, and so backtracking a little bit, like not going into any expectations for her or her character or cause, cause you never know, like she might not even want to play a female character. She could do something completely different. Mm-hmm. Um, so not putting any expectations on them as players right out the gate is really important. Um, I might, this might seem kind of obvious, but this is like a little, it's a, it's a pattern I have seen in other, other games and other things. So um, I, I, it sounds really contrite, but like the best way, but it just treat, treat them like people. And like the best way to do that is communication, communication, communication. Um, and, and also, and like I said, respecting boundaries when they are set, like it's taking no for an answer. It's if someone says, no, I don't, I don't want to romance with these characters, then you drop it and it does not come up again. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think, you know, things like that will really, really help, um, in the long run of trying to get women comfortable in spaces. So again, I know it sounds like really weirdly, like obvious stuff, but it's also things that like, sometimes I think people just don't, if our thought process isn't challenged sometimes it's just stuff we don't think about. And I don't necessarily mean that as a condemning, like, well, you should be thinking about it. Like, it's just, it's muscles. We have to learn to use them. Um, and the more you do it. And that's why I also like, I strongly recommend to people, even if you don't have any women playing in your campaigns, exercising some of these things, because then when you do have them in your spaces, it's, it's muscle memory. You will do it automatically. You won't have to try and bend over backward. You won't have to be like, oh shit, I shouldn't have said that in front of like, it will, it'll come kind of naturally. And you won't wind up with people who are frustrated because all of a sudden they have to change how they play because there's a girl in the group. Yeah, exactly. You'll already, it's already the way you play. So there's nothing to be, there's nothing to change or worry about. Uh, never mind why I'm talking. Here's something I worry about. Yes, I do worry about this. <laughs> uh, kind of often. Uh, I, haven't, I haven't, like, presented any of my campaigns or anything, obviously. You We're all waiting. <laughs> but uh, I think about writing women a lot because uh, in in my story setting, especially, there are um, some really important, like mainstay NPCs that are women. <laughs> to be honest, part of why I have put my shit off for so long is because, like, I, I want to get them right <laughs> really badly, um, and. Uh, and also, like, as a player, um, I, you know, I think about characters I would like to play, and I would like to play one at some point that uh, uh, is is not my gender. Sure. Um, but, uh, yeah, in both of these scenarios, I just, you know, think about, like, like I don't, I don't have this experience. How can I, how, how can I portray this person accurately? 
So I, because uh, we talked about this question a little bit ahead of time, so I had a lot of time to think about it. Um, and I love this question. Um, I have a lot of thoughts. But um, first, I do want to like as a blanket statement right off beforehand. And this kind of goes back to the question we had before, um, maybe as a word of like validation for people. If you are asking these questions at all, that is an amazing first step. Like that is the in, an important first step. And it actually, quite frankly, means a lot that people actually care enough to be like, I want to get this right. How do I do this? Asking the questions, you know, we don't, you don't know what you don't know. And so asking is the very first step. So I applaud anybody who is asking that question. Um, obviously I am not the end all be all by any means. Keep asking, keep looking, but it's, it's a really great first step. Um, so as far as writing, uh, writing like female NPCs or playing female NPCs or PCs, um, there's I had a couple of thoughts on this um, and there's an old uh, there's an old interview with uh, Georgia R. Martin about like when people are like you write such good female characters like what's your secret? And he's like, well, I just think of I've just always thought of women as people. Mm. And I do like it's funny and I, I appreciate that. But there's also a part of me that's like, OK, that that's fine. But like there are people out there who are legitimately like starting from square one um, and so allow me to elaborate, I suppose, on that on that train of thought, because, yes, obviously women are people at the end of the day. Um, so I think the best way to go about this is to because I am I'm autistic. I like to research. Um, <laughs> it's it is research, 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 um, whether that be you know, books, media, whatever. But my specific recommendation that I give is seek out female characters that are written by women. Um, because don't get me wrong, I have lots of female characters that I enjoy and love that are written by men. Um, but a lot, like sometimes that is where I tend to find more, some of the more problematic stuff. And that's also not to say that all women write women well, because they don't. Um, but by and large, I have found that to be a really good start. Um, and which to what I have a note, um, some of my personal favorites, uh, as far as female authors go, I, I said, I was going to mention her again, but Megan Whalen Turner, incredible. Um, there's really not even that many female characters that she has. And yet they are so well done. And there's, I just, I love them so much. So she doesn't actually have very many at all. It's really just one series. It's called the Queen's Thief series. And they are so good. Just, <laughs> yeah. um, I'm probably going to overhype and the people are going to be like, really? I'm like, mm -hmm. But I can't help <laughs> hey, it. That's special what interests I, are special I, to us. I cannot not <laughs> hype that book up. Um, uh, another good one is Tamara Pierce. She's written a lot of books. Um, I feel like I've heard that name before. So, my, yeah. Aaron really loves her. Um, and actually, Aaron read all of her books to me because we used to read to each other. Oh, uh, um, nice. I probably heard it from you then. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and she does a really good job um, of having a vast array of different because al almost all of her, I think, yeah, all of her books, uh, aside from one, um, are from female perspectives or female protagonists. And each one of those protagonists is vastly different. Um, so Diana Wayne Jones is really good. She wrote House Moving Castle. Um, she's written a bunch of other stuff, but those are the ones of hers that I've read. I love her stuff. Um, and then branching a little bit out of like our like uh, of like book media. Um, TV media gets tricky because TV writing can be so many different people. So it's hard to tell. Um, but I'm trying to think if there's like some specific shows I can think of where I was like, this is really well 
Well, actually, sadly, truth be told, the beginning of Game of Thrones wasn't that bad. Um, literally, by the end of it, do not, do not, I beg of you, do not do that. Um, uh, but in slightly different kind of media, um, Hiromu Arakawa and Natsuki Takaya are two of my favorite mangakas. They did Fruits Basket and Full Metal Alchemist. Incredible characters, and just in general, but I also think they have really strong uh, female characters. And I suppose to get back to uh, then, if those are the ones that I like, like and recommend, why I do, um, because it doesn't really do you a lot of good to be like, it's a strong female character, and then like, the old, please define that, because right. that's really broad. Yeah, yeah. Um, gotta kind of experience them also. Yeah. My, what I think makes really good, or I, I guess I will backtrack a little bit. If you're trying to write female NPCs, or other characters. Um, the big thing, I think it's more, it's not necessarily what you do, but maybe what you don't do. Um, Cause I think one of the easiest things to do is to fall into um, like a lazy stereotype and don't get me wrong. I'm I've, like, that's why I say I've seen women do this too. Like it, it's, it's very easy to do. And I'm not also saying it's always a problem not every single female npc you have has to be this like super fleshed out like if you just come up with a random shop owner in the middle of nowhere like they don't need the whole they, backstory they <laughs> don't need a ton of backstory if you find yourself like when every random npc feels really stereotypical like okay they're all blonde bimbos <laughs> maybe, maybe i'll examine that maybe give them goals you know but like <laughs> but at the end of the day it's like when i'm talking about this i'm really talking about like the important female npcs because there should be important female npcs mm -hmm. that's kind of one of the similar notes one, um not to jump in here but one show that popped out when you mentioned like tv writing um <clears throat> i recently finished watching steven universe with my wife yeah and i was gonna bring that one up to you as far as like what do you think like have you watched all of it do you know i have not it's no? on my okay. list of things i need to because <laughs> i've been told for years i need to watch it um and from what i've seen it's fantastic i like i said i haven't seen the full show but i've seen stuff here and there and it's really good yeah we haven't watched the follow-up series i can't remember what it's called um but when sophia and i watched it together she was very like um very excited specifically because it is a primarily female cast and they are all vastly different and there's a lot of like like cartoon tv tropes that happen in there that some of the female cast in the show are like what are what are, what's going on right now like stop stop it don't do that. <clears throat> like the two main characters eventually that eventually like have a romance and like fall in love. They're only in the show. They're only like 13, 14 years old. And apparently in like a later portion of the series or in the follow up show, I can't remember where it happens, but like um, he proposes to her at which point they are still only 15 or 16 years old. And she's like, no, dude. Like, I got to go to college. Like, where is this coming from? We There is so much else we have to do right now. Like, no. Yeah. <laughs> and I think when, when Sophia was telling me about that, that was something that stood out to me as like, huh. Like, you don't think about it specifically because of this form of media. You go, oh my gosh, they're in love. Mm -hmm. Yay. But then like when, when that happens and they're like, uh-uh, no, there's so much left going on. I'm like. Pull that back to like, if that happened in real life, like that would be horrifying. 
yeah. I can't think of anywhere in media I've seen like that scenario play out that way. Yeah. Yeah. But like that happens in life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it yeah. does. And, you know, we can, you know, I could go into a super long diatribe of how like, you know, a lot of that comes from the, you know, that's all like women's big goal was just get married and all that stuff. So that oh, used to be like that yeah. hearing that's like, okay, great, fine. And like I said, things are thankfully they're starting to change. Um, but yeah, that's a really good example of like examining tropes and going, okay, <laughs> how, and like I said, also even finding out, um, from other women like how they feel about a certain trope and you can honestly do that a lot with um if you watch because it's something i do on youtube sometimes i watch uh, women who like interview movies or not interview but like they review movies and stuff mm-hmm. because movies are full of tropes um so you can really get a lot of perspectives on things people really enjoy and things people really hate um two of which um two tropes that like come to mind that i can think of they're ones that like generally please try and avoid um I'm sure most of us have heard the first one at least, but the Manic Pixie Dream Girl, yeah. please avoid. Um, and the Born Sexy Yesterday is another one that I've... Um, I recently heard about this one, and when it got pointed out to me, I was like, oh, mm. um, But it's essentially the concept of... And this happens a lot. This also happens a lot in anime, and it bothers me. Um, that there's some kind of female character who gets like made created or whatever in a full fully adult body but still has the mentality of a child and yet this is going to be framed like a romance between her and the main the main usually male lead i sometimes i i think there's a few instances when this has happened in the reverse it just doesn't happen as often um so essentially then this person this male lead gets to become her teacher in everything therefore he's the best at everything and like it's just it's a little too much it's, like grooming. It's a little. It's giving <laughs> grooming. Um, the uh, There's a quote. I think it's... I'm going to get the quote wrong, but I think it was actually from one of the Tron remakes um, about... There's a female character who's like... I can't remember the exact scenario why she is, but she's similar to that, like, again, fully formed physically, but, like, very naive. Mm-hmm. And the line from this from the person is... And I'm, it's not... This is not verbatim, but it was essentially... She is... Uh, hopelessly naive and infinitely wise and like that sounds really nice out the gate but then like the more you unpack it as a character it's just it gets more and more like ooh, that's that's uncomfy um so like i said like these are these are terms i didn't know about until i started watching things like movie reviews and things like that um so you can often find a lot of people that talk about a trope that you might not have thought about that existed until they point it out and then you can go oh okay where have i done that in my own work or where is this a problem and um so like and i'm you know we could sit here all day and i could go through just a list of tropes that i'm like (laughs) please avoid please avoid um but i think at least if we're painting with a more broad brush especially if you're just starting out um for me i tend to if you're writing female characters um the big thing i think to avoid is after you've created this character asking what her purpose is why she's here what what does she function in the story um and can she be boiled down to essentially either for lack of a better way to put it an innocent virgin or a badass bitch because a lot of times these are the two they tend to fall in sometimes you get like maternal in there too um 
And for both of those characters, typically the reason they get frustrating, because again, there's nothing wrong inherently with that. You can have a badass bitch and I love a good badass bitch. I'm queer. Um, <laughs> but if it essentially boils down to she can do all this really cool stuff, but she is just a tool for a different male character. What's the point? Like she doesn't actually have autonomy. Um, and so examining like what their purpose is, um, how they behave in the world and what their story does to like push things forward, which is also why like one of the big things I recommend is, um, and it seems like a small thing, but just having important female NPCs to your world's history and its present. So whether that is a figurehead in politics or maybe an incredibly powerful wizard or what have you, having those in there automatically shifts a power dynamic within your world that's different than ours. Um, and you can, you can do that what you will. Um, but personally I'm, this is the internet. So I'm sure there's plenty of discourse, but I'm just going to say I'm, if you're creating your world and just inherently your world is like women don't get positions of power because we're doing something sexist. Stop that. Um, I'm not saying you can't have that as a theme in like certain countries or like you can play with that as a theme. Absolutely. But if your entire sphere is just built on that because that was our history, you have the power to change your world's history. So why would you just repeat the bad stuff that we've done? Because yeah. like that kind of a theme in D&D is inherently supposed to be something that is not good and to be fought against and to like... <laughs> save people from so if you have the whole world be that you're kind of setting your party up to be against the entire world <laughs> yeah exactly and again I, i've said before like you can have that as a theme like i had i have plenty of uh in my world that i've created there's lots of rulers of all shapes and sizes and by and large sexism isn't really a thing in like the in in general however because just like in rural there are assholes mm -hmm. um that came up a couple of times like dej's backstory stuff when we dealt with like his dad was the biggest asshole i've ever created and like <laughs> playing him was yeah but um but having like some of those struggles can still happen or even like sophia's character finia has some stuff where like her mom is really very traditional and has wants to do other things but like so you can have those as themes, but if at the end of the day, your reasoning for having them is because it's like real life, I'm going to take some issue with that. Because again, why are we playing D&D? Because &D? there are dragons and magic and shit, buddy. This ain't real life. That's kind of the point. Um, so that stuff, I think that's, you know, be careful to avoid. And like I said, having important female NPCs in those worlds um, and... Uh, the bit and like I kind of talked on it a little bit before, but the big one being when you do have these female NPCs um, being careful that like their backstory and their story is theirs. Um, one thing that like um, I've seen this um, I've seen this done a lot is like I'll see if I can like verbalize this well. Like you often fi oftentimes find like. Um, a lot of times female characters take a lot of abuse just so that a male fictional character has a tragic backstory, if that makes any sense. Mm. It's really not about her having stuff that she's overcome and dealt with. It's so that he has a reason to be mad. 
And I have a lot of issue with that. Um, it's just a, a story meat shield. So, yeah, is that, yeah, exactly. So you're just taking a physical, emotional, whatever beating so that somebody else gets to have a reason to be justified in hurting people and or take revenge or whatever. Like it's old, it's tired. Um, and you can do you not that you can't have like revenge plots or whatever. But again, if you're thinking about these things consciously, and you're really like instead of just going because that makes sense. And that's what I've seen done before. You can still do this in ways that isn't inherently like we just need a, a meat shield. Like, yeah, that's um, what I'd, I'd kind of like to have Sophia back on at some point to talk specifically about her character, Howell, from mm. our old campaign. <clears throat> um, I'm sure we've told you about it, but that wasn't one that you were a part of. But essentially, she kind of followed that line of thinking of like female NPC who broke away from the story that like you are a tool you are a weapon and developed her character into having autonomy and being like i can make this decision if i want to right and everyone being like yeah go for it and then she's like what i am alive (laughs) (laughs) and it's kind of to that to that point um and this is kind of one of the big ones, I think, if because, again, we want characters that are rounded and interesting and that comes with all kinds of traumas and stuff. Um, the, the small asterisk, I will say, don't um, don't push yourself to broach a topic that you feel unprepared for, because that's just setting yourself up for failure. So if you feel like this is something like this is out of my depth, you don't have to put it in there. Um, but for people that do end up wanting to delve into these like more traumatic or more painful topics for their female uh, characters, um, I just lost my train of thought a little bit. Basically, giving them the autonomy to narrate their story. So like the kind of the opposite of what I was saying before, where it feels like they just get delegated to someone else's pain or whatever. Um, and focusing on like how they've overcome that or no, there it is. Finally found it. Um, and I will I'm going to rag on it again because I have a lot of thoughts, but One of my biggest, and for me, like when we all saw the Game of Thrones stuff fall apart, one of my, like for me, what was essentially the last nail in the coffin for me was Sansa's line at the end when she's talking, I think she's talking to the Hound about stuff. um, And he's kind of like talking to her about like all the stuff she's been through. And I think it's mentioning like how he's sorry for her. And she says like, I wouldn't be the person I am today without the stuff I went through. Or essentially, like, that pain made me who I am. That frustrates me so immensely. Because there's a, f- like, it's and it's a framing thing. Instead of framing it like, this, like, these bad things that happened made me strong. No. The things you went through, you, your strength came from taking your pain and changing it. And you taking the agency to take it back. You, uh, there's a line from a song I love, with, but um, it's, uh, pain didn't change me, I changed my pain. Yeah, I mean, you you got to take the authority away from the bad things that happened and say, I did this. Yeah, exactly. And even just in that small bit of framing, that immediately gives power to not just a female character, but any character, really, instead of just like all this stuff, bad stuff happened to me. And now I'm now I'm a badass because bad stuff happened to me. Like, no, you you had to make the choice to still stand up and do the thing. And like, in fact, kind of harkening back to a character you mentioned and I maybe it was the last episode I can't remember but for using Batman as an example <laughs> um you know we can make the argument that Batman doesn't become Batman if his parents don't die like sure but lots of people's parents die 
what makes Batman different is what he did after that. What that what the choices he made to make him who he was after that. Yes, the pain had to happen, but like it's not like just well, you're you went through pain, so now you get to be a superhero. Like it <laughs> all Batman has dead parents. Not yeah, ex- all dead parents has Batman. Yeah, exactly. So um so it's just a reframing really of of things um will really help i think you help uh, grow your female npcs or pcs or uh or what have you and again like a lot of these i say these things because we're talking about female characters in general but this obviously applies to any, any yeah i was character. just gonna say this is also great advice for like putting together a just any character like if you're looking at their backstory like specifically talking about um my character in the campaign we're all in together right now, Ido. Um, there's a lot of that, like you were saying, like these bad things didn't make me who I am. I made me who I am. I think that's something that my character needs to figure out because there's a lot of shit that's happened in his life. And it's not necessarily like, oh, X, Y, Z things happened. Input formula, output character. Mm-hmm. Like the character did things and responded and changed how he thought about things and changed how he responded to things. And that's what got him to where he is now in his story. And so that's something that specifically in player characters, very important to think about with with your characters that you're making. Um, and it's in, more in, interesting anyway. Yeah. Like it's mm-hmm. just it's going to it's going to make for really great role play moments. It's going to make for great interpersonal <clears throat> moments like it's just more interesting to because ha- it's more human. Like that's just how that's how we are. And it's really fun to do that with NPCs too. Because like, say you have a female tavern owner who has had something happen. Like their their tavern was destroyed. I'm just spitballing here. Sure. So roll with me. <laughs> but their tavern was destroyed because a roving band of adventurers came in and had a bar fight. And maybe most of that adventuring party were half orcs. Mm-hmm. So maybe now she's got a bit of a chip on her shoulder. And if you have a half orc in your party, she's going to kind of look at you guys and be like, don't do it. And like, that's just something that you can, you can just have like a little bit of like character behind the NPC and like how they think about things and how a specific thing happened. And it made them change slightly how they act. And like, that is enough to give it, even that one little thing is enough to give an NPC so much more meaning in a story. Yeah. And, you know, back to the point when I made before, like, you know, sometimes when you just need a quick NPC, you don't necessarily have to flesh everybody out. But another thing you can do that is kind of like, I find really, um, I've done this before. I've seen many DMs do this before. It's just done on the fly. But like, if you find yourself with like a shopkeeper or an innkeeper or whatever, and you're like, they feel really... Like I said, using before, like maybe she's just a classic, looks like a classic barmaid bimbo and that's how she's been played thus far. And you're like, okay, this feels stereotypical. And again, some of the stuff might not ever come up, but like, especially if like a player starts talking to her or whatever, maybe throw in casually that she's into like rat taxidermy, like (laughs) something batshit weird because that's funny. And it's like, and not just funny, but like it's. It's so unexpected and, and it's a complete curveball. And it immediately solidifies that NPC now in the in the player's minds. Like they're writing down rat, rat taxidermy, taxidermy dumb bitch. Uh-huh. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, and immediately there's already a dimension that's like, OK, yeah, that's not just another. That's not just a, another bar wench. Yeah. This that's NPC the rat has become wench. a person. Yeah, exactly. 
So honestly, sometimes even if you just like, because I love little lists for ideas, um, even if you just like jot down a couple of weird things, it's just like, okay, at some point I'm just going to throw that in Roll there. Roll the D6 to see which one you use in which NPC. Exactly. <laughs> and that's always fun. And if for some reason one of them comes up, you're like, oh, that doesn't, that doesn't feel good. You can just re-roll. Like, yep. <laughs> they never know. Um, but yeah, those are probably some of my, my big points of order. Yeah, that's a, that's a load of awesome insight. <laughs> mm-hmm. I hope so. You have me thinking about like, you've got me analyzing a lot of, uh, a lot of female characters in in media that I've experienced. Like the moment you brought up Full Metal Alchemist, like uh, Hawkeye, oh. started checking off every box. Yeah. Uh huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, I love that character so much. The whole know, show is so good. Yeah. I will also give like an example of like. Um, if you ever want like the homework, now granted this is a really big show to do homework on, <laughs> but like as far as something not to do, um, it's a show I have I have a love hate relationship with it. It's one of my guilty pleasures, but God bless it. So the show Supernatural, fun oh. show. Its female characters are awful, and not, and not because I don't like them, but just because when I the more I look at them, the more they really do boil down into either kind of like either classic. That, like I said, like I mentioned, just a badass or essentially they're basically men. They just happen to be like we we made them women, but we're going to give them everything else. That's just the same. And it's it's and I think it's one of the reasons when they tried to do that, like spinoff that was about the female characters. It fell flat because they aren't very well done. I didn't even know they tried to do a spinoff. Yes, they did. And it. Yeah. So it's one of those things where you can. Every once in a while, you like if you watch a lot of. uh that's why I say like using shows and media and books or whatever is great homework, because even if you just look at something and go, even if it's a character you really like, because I have characters I really like and can acknowledge that in the media they are in. They're not the best done, like maybe in my head, I've transfigured them into being something deeper than they actually are. But there's been plenty of again, I love it to death. It's one of my absolute favorite pieces of media is Bleach. I can fully recognize, though, that it's female characters aren't done well in yeah. so many ways on that same vein uh naruto my my pet project god i love that show so much um biggest female lead in that show sakura has absolutely no purpose until like the last 50 or 60 episodes of a nearly thousand episode tv show yeah. She has no purpose at all. And, you know, using things, especially if it's things you like, use that as a, a jumping off of like analyze what doesn't work, analyze what you would have changed to make that more that character more impactful or, mm-hmm. you know, because um, even if you can't, at the end, you can't at the end of the day change canon. But like and that's like I've said, like uh, Bleach may be one of my favorite things. And f- certainly in my head, I've made these characters way deeper than they are as as it's given to me. Um, so I could sit here and analyze why I love them as characters and why I still think they're fun and good characters. But I can also still recognize that a lot of the ways that they are portrayed or a lot of the actions that they're given are mostly in service to male characters and or they don't get a ton of their own autonomy or it's not done very well. Um, their emotions are placed in a specific place and direction so as to further what the main male right. protagonist is trying to do and, and to be fair i will say because i can hear the argument of like well isn't that a story's job is to may move the protagonist you can make that argument um so in a sense all characters do kind of work to do that but 
but you can still do that in a dynamic way that they still have. In fact, I honestly, I find that more interesting than just every single character trying to push one character forward. Right. It's people working in tandem and moving together. And and give them a three-dimensional reason to push the main character forward. Because yeah. mm-hmm. that's that's my biggest issue with Sakura is that in Naruto, there are so many times when she just has like a request or like tells Naruto to do something and it's like, why are you doing this? Oh yeah, because you're in love with XYZ character. And yeah. that's it. That's your whole personality mm-hmm. is you're in love with someone. So Naruto, go do this thing. Yeah, that's... <laughs> If, if if a character, and again, I will say this for not just female characters, but characters in general, if their entire purpose is simply to exist for one other character, chances are, unless you've done a really good job subverting that to be purposefully like commentating on that, it's typically going to be messy, messy and just like a, a boring character and or flat or just not very interesting because you get like all all characters are people, so be your own person stand up girl <laughs> it's it's xenoblade for me <laughs> oh yeah oh my god i could talk for a long time about this about how this is an issue in the second game in the in the first game though this is this is boiled down <clears throat> a bit there are two specific female characters that come to mind one of them is is they both they both take a beating throughout the entire story and and probably the most suffering out of anybody in that game. Uh, the first one is like a, a close childhood friend of the main character mm. and, and is uh, killed off early. And then like spoilers kind of kind of comes back and then <laughs> uh, proceeds to uh, be like constantly dying for the rest of the story. And it's, it, it's like she has some development, but it, happens mostly for the progression of the main character um and i i find the way she is handled frustrating conversely there is another character who takes just an even larger beating but it ends up being to her own benefit Mm. and then she becomes an inspiration for the rest of the party and carries them with her and she's done so well that it makes this other character look like just just even worse by comparison. Yeah. yeah. And that's the thing, too, is like when you give a character female or not such a compelling like look what they have become because of their suffering and how they have changed themselves yeah. and result of it. It makes them so much more powerful as a character in media like even just listening to you talk about that, I'm like, yeah, I don't care about that first person. Like, I want to hear about the second one. Like, what did she do? Yeah. <laughs> yeah and it's uh, and it's also one of those reasons why um, I really do. Like when we talk about like observing the things that we like um, using media that you really enjoy is actually a really great way to start because you care about it. It's something you like, as long as you can have a critical eye over the things that you find that you like, because unfortunately none of us, you know, there is no perfect media out there, which is why, like I said, I still love, I love bleach and yet I can recognize that it's flawed. Mm -hmm. And it's, it kind of the, the problem I find tends to come when we like things that have holes or problems and we act like they don't like, this is still fine. Like it's my perfect baby angel. How could it be wrong? (laughs) Um, because everything's got everything's got holes and problems in it and 
if you can look at the stuff that you like and you can still recognize where there's problems, it really does actually help then when you go to write your thing or you go to make your world or you whatever project you happen to be working on, um, that will help you unpack some of that stuff and go, okay, I really enjoyed this, but this is where I think this went wrong. I would do it this way. Mm -hmm. Um, and sometimes that's a lot easier than necessarily going to a media that you don't know of at all. Um, though I still encourage people to go to stuff that they've not, you know, you know, like I mentioned, like that, the list of the ones I like, but there's tons of shit out there. <laughs> um, so yeah, observing the stuff that we like and still being critical of it. Very helpful. Mm -hmm. This has been awesome. This is, I mean, you said it earlier, like even just listening and being like, huh, like even in this moment, realizing like, I'm starting to think a little differently about the media and things. And it's got me really excited to go back to like my, my own world building and be like, how can I integrate? How can I tweak things to make this better? It's, this has been really, really fun. Thank you. I mean, it's been really fun for me too. I love guys. Yeah. So I'm happy I can help. I hope I can help. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Would love to do this again in the future. Mm -hmm. be happy to do so we're gonna get a consistent rotation of guests on here and we'll try to like that, yeah. do returning we want to hear from you and we want to hear what you think about the the topics presented today uh and also send us your home group of course go ahead and send that to someonegreaterpod.gmail.com or at someonegreater on twitter and go ahead and follow our social medias linked in the description below and subscribe to the YouTube. Do it. Thank you for watching. Have a good week.